challenge that we have uh, as Christians. And remember, we're looking at laying good foundations for us. And where where better to start than the the central message of Christianity, Um, the gospel, the message of, of God for salvation. If we wanted to put a framework or a shape to the gospel, we could do it in, in, in four steps. Start with God, talk about who man is, talk about who Jesus is, and talk about how we respond to the message. So God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. Um, that can be the framework of the gospel, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we walk through here. So last week, you remember, we talked about the character of God. We talked about the character of God, how um, he is the ruler over us. He's the ruling creator. He created us and he rules over us. And he is a gracious savior. He's revealed himself to us as this gracious savior, yet a righteous judge. And we talked about how his graciousness and his righteousness um, pose a problem for God. And he must punish sin, yet he desires to forgive it. Um, and so that, that's the beginning part of this story about who God is. Today we're going to be looking at the nature of man. Over the next few weeks we're going to be looking at the nature of man and who man is in relation to God. I want to start off with uh, telling you guys about a game. Um, some of the youth can testify. Well, I don't have any actual youth in here. Maybe Josiah's up there. Rachel used to be a youth, so she can testify to this. Um, how, uh, oh, I got you over here. I'm usually looking at the youth right here. Um, how many of you guys love the game Mal? Mal, okay. No, I, I see a no here. I see a yes here. Um, Ashley, you remember Mal? So I, taught, I teach this game to the kids called Mal. It's a card game. Um, I learned it when I was a youth. I passed down what has been given to me. Uh, but this card game, what's fun about it or what's not fun about it uh, is you don't get to know the rules. You sit down with a group of people who have never played it before, and it starts something like this. You say, we're about to play a game called Mal. The only rule I can tell you is don't talk. Start. And that's how the game starts. And as you can imagine, kids get frustrated because they don't know what the rules are. And all of a sudden, once they break a rule, they get a penalty card from me, the dealer. So if you don't do something right, penalty card for whatever it is. And as you can imagine, they start to get frustrating. Why? Because they're being judged by rules that they don't know. That's pretty frustrating to be judged based upon something you didn't know you were being judged on. That's why that game is fun and frustrating at the same time. Now, I think we as humans, in our verse that we looked at, Romans 1:18, shows us that God is judging us. His wrath is being revealed against us. Just like I gave a penalty card in that game to the people who are breaking the rules, God judges us for breaking the rules. But unlike the game of Mao, God does reveal to us what the rules are, what his expectation of us is. So I want to read this passage, and we're going to see how God makes the rules plain to humans right here in this passage. But then we're also going to t- go back and take a look at the foundational statement of what the rules are. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, this is actually the third time we've been in this section. But Romans 18, or chapter, no, chapter 1, verse 18, says this. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile or futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we see in this passage right off the bat, in the very first line of it, we see that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. God is dispensing a judgment on mankind for what? What, what are we blamed for in that passage? What, what, what is God holding us accountable to? What is he judging us for? It says he's, the wrath is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So God is judging us for not being godly. God is judging us for not being righteous. We're held accountable for not being like God. That's what godly is, like God. This, as you can hear, should sound very familiar to you, if you're, especially if you're a, a Hebrew um, Old Testament studier, but especially just as Christians. We have this foundational notion in our faith about being made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. And as you can see in this passage, I believe God is holding us accountable for not living up to this image that he has put in us. So if you want to keep a, a, a finger in Romans 1, we're going to flip to Genesis 1. Um, and we're going to look at what it means to be created in God's image. Hopefully this is, this is a lot of repeat for you because I make a lot about I make much of the image of God. I think it's one of the most foundational, transformative uh, truths that we have in our world, uh, in, our, in our civilization. But re- Genesis 1, remember, it starts off met God making the heavens and the earth. He made uh, all these things. Then on the sixth day, he makes man. And he says this about man. It's the first poem we find in the Bible. He says this in verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let us have dominion. Or let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here's the poem. So God created man in his image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So the first truth I want you to lock on to this morning is this, that every human is made in the image of God. Every human is made in the image of God. Right here on these first pages, the, the founda- some of the foundational truth that we have in our faith is that we are made in God's image. But what does that mean for you sitting here in the pews? Um, not only was Jesus 2,000 years ago, Moses wrote this thousands of years before that. So we're 3,000, 3,500 years removed from the writing of this passage. What does it have to do with us in the year 2023? Well, I think this, number one, what it means to be made in God's image is that you have value. 
You have value. You have worth. There's a worth that's intrinsic to you. Um, It's not given to you based on something you do. It's built in you by the way you are made. You have value. And there's no greater honor that you can receive in life than to be uh, made in the image of God. There's no greater value. We, we might debate about what's the greatest award to win. Maybe you might say, um, you know, to win the Nobel Peace Prize is a great thing. To win a Grammy or an Academy Award is a great thing. What kind of honor can be bestowed upon us that we would feel, man, that is a great honor? Would you believe it that there's even debate about what the greatest honor in basketball is? Does anybody know um, what LeBron James did recently? LeBron James is a famous basketball player. There's debate about if he's the greatest ever. He eclipsed the, 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 the goal or the, uh, the um, record that was set by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He, he has the most points ever in the history of the NBA. He has 38,390 points. 38,390 points. Some would say if you've got the record, that means you're the greatest scorer of all time. But you know, people still debate about if he's the best scorer of all time. Well, he's played so long. Well, he didn't play in this era. There's debate about what the best honor is in basketball. Is it more titles? Is it more MVPs? Is it the highest scorer? How how do we know what the greatest honor is in basketball? It's It's a debate. But for us as humans, there's really no debate. There's no honor that we should seek more than to be made in the image of God. Uh, The greatest thing that can be said of us was said of us on the first pages of the Bible. You were made in the image of God and you therefore have value because of that. The highest honor has been bestowed upon you. And this honor, this being made in the image of God is regardless of anything that you have done or will do. You are made in the image of God no matter what, regardless of your demographic. It doesn't matter what gender you are. In Genesis 1, it says male and female, he created them in his image. It doesn't matter what what gender you are. It doesn't matter what race you are. Black, white, brown, doesn't matter what, uh, what your nationality is. You are made in the image of God. It doesn't matter what your tax bracket is. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter what your career is. If you have a career of that seems meaningless or a career that seems extremely meaningful, it doesn't matter. Regardless of your demographic, you're made in the image of God. Also, regardless of your history, you are made in the image of God. You, like me, have a history of sin. All of us can point back to maybe serious sins in our life. The fact that you've sinned in the past does not change the fact that you're made in the image of God right now. That image still resides in you, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done. It's also in you, regardless of your belief. And I want to be clear here, regardless of your belief, Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists and atheists are all created in the image of God. Some of them deny that fact, but that does not change the fact that they are made in the image of God. And they all still have value. I disagree highly with most of, the, most of the, the, the people on that list. But that doesn't change the fact that they're made in the image of God. You don't have to be a Christian to be made in the image of God. We'll talk about this later. You do have to be a Christian to be made in the image of Christ. 
And we'll talk about what that means here in a few moments. But regardless of uh, who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what you believe, you're made in the image of God. And nothing else in all of creation is like this. Nothing else is made in the image of God. So we should treat one another as such. C.S. Lewis, I've mentioned to you guys before, he says, you've never met a mere mortal. Every person that you encounter is in the image of God. Uh, it doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter if they have a disability. It doesn't matter whatever it is. They are made in the image of God, and you should treat them as such. The Bible echoes this in, uh, throughout, throughout its, the writing of it. And just a few chapters after Genesis 1, Genesis 9 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. So the standard he's holding them to is like, hey, you treat somebody like they're made in the image of God. And if you shed their blood, then that's a serious offense. The book of James in the New Testament says this when he's talking about taming our tongue in chapter three of James. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How can we worship God and curse people who are made in his image? It shouldn't be possible. Um, so this, this image of God determines our value and how we should treat other people. This is a foundational truth for Christianity, and I think it's unique in our world. If you look at some of the atrocities that have happened um, in the 19th century, or I guess it would be the, the 20th century, um, whether that's um, communist regimes or, or the, um, the, uh, the Holocaust, those were godless offenses. As God was removed from, from, Europe, from European mindset, more atrocities are committed against humans than less. The, the more you remove this idea of being made in the image of God from your mind, the crueler you will be to your fellow human. This idea changed the world. This idea that was, was founded in the Jewish belief and is as taken exponentially in the Christian, Christian belief is that we're all equal because we're made in the image of God. So you have value sitting right here as you breathe in and as you breathe out, you're glorifying God because you're made in his image. But it doesn't just mean that you have value because you're made in the image of God. It also means that you have responsibility. And if we feel really good about the first one, that we, that we have value because we're made in the image of God. That's great. But this one gives us, this is a, a little bit heavier. This is a little bit weighty. You have a responsibility because you're made in the image of God. What it means to be made in the image of God and have a responsibility is that you reflect God's character. We are to reflect God's character and we're to represent God's rule. We reflect his character and represent his rule. In that passage, it says that we're created in the image of God. God says, let us make man in our image and let him have dominion, domain. That's where we get the word dominate from, which if you think of dominate, I, I, that kind of skews the message. But the idea is you're ruling over an area. You're, you have rule and reign over something. God said that we should have domain. We're supposed to rule this place as kind of vice regents, as, as vice presidents, vice regents, sub creators. He told us to have dominion and to work the garden and take care of it. God uses us to take care of the world. 
So as we represent God, we're to act the way God acts. We're to do the things God does. We're to stand for the things God stands. We promote the things God promotes. And as we do that, we reflect his character. We're supposed to reflect his character. Now, obviously, there there are things about God that we can be, and there are things about God that we can't be. We cannot be omnipresent. We can't be all-knowing. We can't be... um, uh, we can't be those, those omnis when you think of theology. We can't be those, but we can be loving and gracious and truthful and honest. These, these characteristics of God that are what they call communicable. You can share in these characteristics, and we're called to reflect those. Love, justice, truthfulness, righteousness. We're supposed to be like a mirror. And when you look in a mirror, you see an image, and whose image do you see? Yourself. But if you think of a mirror, um, when you look at the mirror in your house, it's upright. Like this, and as you look into it, it reflects back into you, right? We, God creates us not to be a mirror for Himself only. Like, God wants to look at you and see Himself in you, but He creates you to be more of a reflection. So imagine a 45 degree angle mirror, a mirror that's, that's faced like this. As the light would shine onto that mirror, where does that light go? If it's at a 45 degree angle, it's gonna come out toward you. We've all been maybe sitting in the car and our spouse is on the phone, uh, on her, her, her phone, and she's typing and the light is coming in the side window and it's hitting your face and you can't drive, right? That's the picture. As the light comes in and hits the mirror, it goes out into the world. You are supposed to be like that. You're like a mirror to God, a 45 degree angle mirror. As God's light, his character, his love, justice shines on you, you are therefore supposed to shine that love, justice, and character out to the world. So you represent God in this world. You reflect God's character and you represent God's rule. And every human is made in the image of God. And that's foundational. And it's really hard as well, right? As we see in our lives, it's really hard to continuously reflect God's character, to act like God in every situation. It's Nearly impossible. We can't do it. It's really hard for humans to do. So that brings us to our second point. One, every human is made in the image of God. But two, every human fails at being the image of God. And if you're in Genesis, go back to Romans. This is where we're going to look at. Every human fails to image God, to be the image of God. What are the causes for that failure? Well, this passage tells us that his, his character, his nature is made clear to us. It's shown to us. Um, we can perceive it in creation. But what happens to humans? Verse 21 of, of Romans chapter 1 says that for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And verse 23 says it. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So what's the cause for our failure to image God? You could say it this way. When we desire to worship ourselves rather than God. When we worship creature rather than creator. When we decide our way is better than God's way. 
He says, I want you to look like this in the world. And we, in our hearts, intentionally say, no, I'm good. I don't want to look like that in the world. God says you should be honest and tell the, tell the truth. But you say, if I tell the truth, then I'll get in trouble. So I'm not going to tell my mom I did that. or I'm not going to tell my dad I did that. God says, be honest. And you say, well, if I'm honest on my taxes, I won't get as much money. So I want to lie on my taxes. God says, I want you to grant forgiveness to those who have hurt you to love your enemies. And we say, no, it doesn't feel good for me to love my enemies. I'd rather hate them. That feels good to me. Those are pictures of what it means to sin, what it means to not be in God's image. When we say to God, you want me to do this, but it doesn't make me feel good. So I'm going to do this instead. It's when we don't believe God at his word. When we don't believe God at his word, we fail to to be his image. When he says, this is the image I want you to be, we don't believe him. We don't trust him that that is the best thing for us. We're going to have more to come in the the coming weeks about what it means to sin. Uh, But suffice it to say, the cause of our our not being made or our not reflecting God's image well is that we sin. We, We replace God with ourselves. So that's the cause of our failure. But what's the result of our failure? Well, the image of God is distorted in us. The image of God is distorted, not destroyed. It's distorted in us. How many of you guys have ever been to the carnival? Um, they set up um, one over here, Commerce Days. Maybe you've been to the one in Miami. You can think back. Um, you go into the fun house, right? The fun house is kind of a crazy place. What's in the fun house? Um, well, there's probably some clown pictures, something like that. Yep, and mirrors, exactly. Um, they're not just regular mirrors. These mirrors are distorted. They're funny mirrors, right? You look at them and you're maybe, you look like you're eight feet tall or you're eight feet wide or it makes your nose look bigger, whatever it might be. That's right. And so when you sin against the Lord, when you choose not to image it properly, it's like you're made into a funhouse mirror. You, you kind of look like God. There are times when you look like him, but not all the time, like we're meant to. It's a distortion. It's like a fun house mirror or a broken mirror, or maybe it's like a fuzzy radio signal. You know, you you tune into the radio and it's not quite on the perfect frequency and you can't quite hear the baseball game. What's going on? Like maybe you catch parts of it here and there. It's clear, but for the most part, it's not clear. Or maybe it's like a blurry TV screen. Um, you know, in the digital age, we don't have that issue. But used to in the day when you use rabbit ears, it, it would, the, the, the TV wouldn't look quite right. You maybe have to, to adjust it a little bit. So that when we sin, that results in us being a distorted image of God. The image of God is distorted. So what does that happen? What happens? Well, God's character is defamed. If people are looking at us, looking at images of God and they don't see the image of God, then his character is defamed. Right. If a dad in his home is supposed to represent a picture of God to his children and he is a tyrant and he's not loving, that messes up their picture of God. That changes the way they see God. God's character is defamed when we worship idols. We worship ourselves. We worship other things. God's character is defamed. His children are destroyed. People hurt themselves when they don't worship God. People hurt themselves when they don't worship God. What I don't mean like intentionally physically hurting themselves like cutting or something like that. I mean, if you if you worship money, 
then that worship of money is going to destroy your heart. If you worship sex, then that worship of sex is going to destroy your heart. When we sin, when we worship things other than God, those things will destroy us. So people hurt themselves when they worship idols and people hurt other people when they worship idols. Instead of being truthful, honest, and helping toward other people, we choose to use other people for our benefit. God's character is defamed, his children are destroyed, and his mission is derailed. God created this world that you might be his image in it. And he filled this world with seven billion images of himself, yet they don't reflect him properly. They don't truly display his glory. So his mission is compromised in that. So we are made in God's image, value, but responsibility. And every one of us failed to be that image. But every human can be remade into the image of Christ. The bad news is that we mess up. The bad news is that we fail to be that image a lot of the time, most of the time. And that wrath, as verse 18 says in Romans, that wrath is coming against ungodliness, unrighteousness, not the image. But the, the good thing is that every human can be remade into that image, that image of Christ Christ is the perfect image of God. Colossians 1 says that he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. As you look at Christ, you see God. Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint of his nature. It goes on to say that he upholds the universe by the power of his word. That's lofty language for for Christ, but he is the perfect image of God and he was the perfect sacrifice for sin. This perfect image of God, sinless image of God. His blood shed on the cross is what it required to forgive you of your sin. That's a large payment and it's a sufficient payment. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin and Christ is the perfect goal for our salvation. God doesn't just save you to forgive you. God saves you to remake you. God doesn't just save you to forgive you, but he saves you to remake you. The goal of your salvation is not just to be acquitted of the crime. It's not just that you would not receive the sentence for your, your sins, but that you would be rehabilitated afterwards. It's not just that there was a criminal and he went to prison and he got forgiven of that sentence and now he goes out to live the exact same life he lived before he went to prison. That's not the picture of what Christianity is. If you messed up this image, you were the criminal. Christ paid for your sins. He took your place. And now you, in some sense, go take his place. You look like him now. There's a great exchange that happens uh, we call it imputation, if you want to use the, the fancy word. But all it means is Christ's sin put, or sorry, our sin put in Christ. Christ's righteousness put in us. It's a great exchange. It's an imputation. Our sin imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And so when we are saved, we're remade into this image. And this this process of being remade into the image, not just of God, but specifically of Christ, will end in heaven. We will not be made perfect in this life, but although it ends in heaven, it starts on earth. 
This process of becoming like Christ starts today. It starts when you put your faith in Jesus. So I ask you this question to, to, to leave you with this thought. What would it be like for you to work with or work for or be around someone who was a good image of God? What would it be like for you at work if your boss was a great image of God, if they reflected God's character in all of their interactions with you? That would be really good. What would it be like if you as a coworker reflected Christ's image to your coworkers all the time? What would it be like if you as a father and a mother were the perfect image of Christ? If you if you represented Christ in your home, what would it be like for your kids? What would it be like at school or at your jobs or wherever that might be? What would it be like if you were that image of Christ to the people around you like you're being remade into? I think it would change our workplaces. I think it would change our schools. I think it would change our towns, our cities. If we all had these characteristics that are God's and are ours in Christ, we're given all of these tools. We're being remade into the image of Christ. And what would it be like if we truly were that image in all our relationships, in all of our friendships, in all of our um, all the different settings, all the different hats we put on in life? What would it be like if we were that image? I think a lot of more people would come to know Christ because far too often, even Christians, we continue to show the world that distorted image of Christ. And if we show them that distorted image of Christ, they're not going to want that distorted Christ. There was a, a, um, a band in the 90s called DC Talk. They were a hip hop group. Maybe some of you know, maybe you don't. They had a line in one of their songs that the, the greatest cause of atheism today is Christians who profess Christ with their mouth but deny him with their life. The leading cause of atheism is Christians who say they're Christians but then don't act like they're Christians. May we be people here at this church in this town that claim to be Christians that claim the image of Christ in our life and then live it out, that we walk it out, that we act like that in our workplaces, that we would glorify God with our lives.